This is a GRDC podcast. A fascinating project aimed at solving major subsoil constraints across southern New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and Tasmania is throwing up some interesting early results in improving soil structure. The five-year project across nine trial sites is looking at addressing multiple constraints, sedicity, pH and salinity, as well as deep soil nutrition, as a kind of package rather than fixing just one or two issues. Now, I got the chance recently to talk to Isan Tavakoli from New South Wales DPI at Wagga Wagga in New South Wales about his trials in southern New South Wales. Isan made the point that there's a lot of knowledge already about individual soil constraints, but this project is looking initially for the most cost-effective methods that will deal with multiple constraints. So one of the research questions that we have in this current work, how can we actually further that development of knowledge that happened in the past to a reasonable package that farmers in future can adopt and use that for solving their problem if they have a problematic soil, for example, in their business. So over the past 10 or 15 years, there has been some great knowledge developed from the work in high rainfall area. That work created up to 60-70% yield responses. However, the adoption of that has been a bit less favourable. Okay, well, let's go back and look at some of those questions that you've asked. Let me just firstly, though, ask how you actually set the experiment up, what your variables were, how you did it. Sure. So the first thing that you need to know is what is the problem? And in farming systems, there are often more than just one problem. So people refer to a sodic soil or saline soil or acidic soil. When you look at the soil profile from the surface to the subsoil, there are often multiple problems. And I'll give you an example. So in southern New South Wales, we often have a topsoil that has a pH of between 5 to 6. And then you could experience a subsoil acidity in 10 centimeter. And by increasing depths, that pH increased to 8 or 9. And that high pH can introduce problem for crop growth. That's So high pH in the subsoil is one problem. Then you have sodic soil that often has poor structure, poor aggregation, and often create transient waterlogging. In, in the same soil you're talking in about? In the same soil, yeah. So, so that subsoil, high pH, overlap with another problem, which is sodicity slash transient waterlogging. And in deeper soil profile, we also could expect having saline environment. So we are three issues that we are dealing with. We need what a trifecta. Exactly, that's right. So multiple soil constraint is what I'm really referred to, and just one single strategy that, for example, a lot of industry um, experts recommending application of gypsum if you have a sodic soil, which is correct. I'm not ruling that out. But however, just having gypsum is not going to solve your three or four soil constraints. So the first thing towards establishing a trial to understand this mechanism, we need to know what is the risk and what is the problem in the soil or subsoil. All right. What were some of the ameliorants that you worked with in this project? So I will categorize them in low performance 
performing treatments or amendments and the best performing treatments. One of the treatments that I always wanted to try is a combination of organic matter. And in this case, we used a farm-grown biomass like a PHA being pelletized together with gypsum and nutrients. So each of these offer a, a different mode of action. The organic amendment uh, give you that carbon and nutrient, a little bit of nitrogen for microbial activity to build up that microbial carbon. Eventually, that microbial carbon can build up your soil structure, and we've got solid set of data that actually shows that. Gypsum has two modes of action, and the first mode of action is less being referred to in the literature and by the industry. When you add gypsum to a highly alkaline soil at a pH of 9, it actually reduces the pH. And when you reduce the pH from that 9, 8.8, back to about 8.5, 8.4, you do two things. You change that sodium carbonate species, bring them back towards calcium carbonate, which is important for soil structure. You also reduce the negativity of the clay charge, and that's what we call a net dispersive charge reduction affected by gypsum. And nutrient in the subsoil give you a bit of boost in terms of fertility. So that performance of that treatment has been consistently the best over the last two years, because this is just the second year of that project. And that um, performance in terms of grain yield response that in the second year we observed up to 53% increase in the yield is associated with higher uptake of water from the subsoil so that ha there has to be a change in the structure that the plant can have access to other extra water. Okay so let's just go back on that and emphasize that because that your best result was a combination of three different additives. Sure exactly so what happens so we reduce the soil pH from the gypsum in that treatment. We also reduces the exchangeable sodium in the soil a little bit. Not a lot compared to the reduction in the pH. The organic matter provide that microbial carbon for the soil, for the microbes to play with, and, and that microbial carbon can be used for improving the structure and aggregation of these poorly structured subsoil. And the final thing was that nutrient. And we have other treatments that when you compare them, we can rule out the nutrition effect from the structural effect, from chemical effects. So it's a combination of these three things that contribute to crop response. Going back to some of the interesting amendments, right, that didn't perform really well in the first year and in the second year performed remarkably. One of them was deep gypsum just on its own. And what happened there, in my opinion, when you put gypsum at about 5 to 10 tons per hectare in the subsoil, it takes a while for that to react with soil moisture. It's a slow process compared to having a surface application, and it takes a while to show up its effectiveness. So, And it's important because in some soils, they may just need gypsum on its own, and in terms of effective cost effectiveness, having one amendment compared to a few amendments is much more cost effective. But really, we need to know what are we dealing with. Another interesting result that we've got is the use of farm grown biomass so you have a wheat crop you harvest your wheat and you've got a stubble that the stubble can be pelletized or used as your organic amendment that's almost like a, an agricultural waste that can be converted to something very useful as a, as a manure for example in this case rather than importing it exactly that's right so with that stubble with a wheat stubble or barley or most of the cereal stubble it's a carbon rich material so it, it has about 40 percent carbon and in contrast to legume stubble, it has much lower nitrogen. So there are two options here. We had with the stubble pelletized at about 15 tons per hectare being incorporated in the subsoil. We also put some nutrient on that to see if 
correcting the nutrient balance, so carbon to nitrogen to phosphorus ratio, can actually provide a better product for the microbe because microbe needs energy and that energy is the nitrogen and other nutrients for them to play with, to de decompose that vitro stubble. And again, it's a slow process. When you put a carbon-rich amendment into the subsoil, because microbial activity is lower in the subsoil compared to the subsoil, we didn't see anything on the first year, but in the second year, from about 5 to 10% response in the first year, it resulted in 30% response in terms of grain yield response on those two amendments, a stubble or a stubble plus nutrient. So what's the implication here is that there is a slow release environment of that carbon being transported from the amendments into the different soil fractions, but the results came up in the second year. And it will be very interesting to monitor those changes in the third and fourth and many years later to see how long those results will last and whether this is slow release work over time better. That was one of my next questions is how long does this project go? And I suppose the critical thing, as you mentioned at the start, was that you're looking to design a package, I suppose, for, for sure. growers that's, that's practical and usable by growers. So this sounds expensive to do, to sure. go so, so deeply to change uh, soil structures. Is it proving that? Sure. Look, there are different projects with different time frames. So short term, medium term and long term. And I think this sort of work is medium term that we need a number of years of result because the residual effect of any of these amendments that we incorporate in the subsoil and monitoring the changes in the soil properties and how crop responds to those changes is important. And any economic analysis is based on residual effect because it's a one-off application in the subsoil and if the crop responds to that changes over five, six, seven years, we don't know how long, is going to be a critical factor in deciding what amendments and whether farmers should apply this into into his or her property. So the project goes for five years. It's in the second year of the project. And we are hoping by 2020 or 2021, we have some set of data that our economists on the project can do their work in terms of coming with an answer with a package that whether these results in terms of crop responses is economical according to what we applied and the cost of those material. We have about nine of these trials across South Australia, Tasmania, Victoria, and Southern New South Wales. And a combination of these sites and the responses together in different environment, different rainfall, different soil type is going to provide that answer. That was Isan Tabakoli from New South Wales DPI at Wagga Wagga. Of course, Isan was talking about results in southern New South Wales. Results in other parts of the southern region may differ, depending on soil types, rainfall and other local variables, but still an interesting project to keep a close eye on.